Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Dental Download Podcast. Today I'm joined with one of my classmates again, and we're going to talk about hand skills during D1 Sim Lab. So it was kind of a tricky topic to talk about in podcast format rather than you all know I make YouTube videos as well, but I think we did a pretty good job of giving some mental tips and tricks and also some hand skills, actual applicable tips and tricks. So I think you'll all find the episode to be really helpful. I did notice when I was editing it that my audio sounds a little bit like distant for some reason. I don't know if it was because of Zoom, even though I always record over Zoom, but apologies for that. I still think it sounds totally fine though and definitely bearable, but um, I'm just going to do a quick little intro as always, catch you all up on what's been happening because I do have some updates from last week for sure, and then also give you a little motivation for the week and then we'll get right into the episode where I'm joined with my classmate, Mitch. So I guess my personal life updates, as you all heard last episode, I just got back from visiting my parents down in Florida, and it was kind of a little bit of a break and everything from school, obviously, because we got to spend some time at the beach and then just hanging out in their little apartment down there together. It was really great to see them. I haven't seen them in quite a few weeks, but it was also obviously a little bit more challenging to focus on school at that time. We have an exam when I'm recording this on Sunday, an exam on Monday afternoon, probably the day that you're listening to this, but that is our fourth of five exams for cell biology. And then I have a final for our clinical foundations written portion. So that's the lecture portion of SimLab, actually. And I have that on Tuesday. Then no classes Wednesday and Thanksgiving. And then we have a bunch of finals the next couple weeks of December. We have finals in karyology. We have a final for infection and immunity and cell biology and oral facial function. And I think there may be one more final on top of all of that. And we also have a final project for behavioral science that we have to complete as a group. That is thankfully mostly done. Our group chose to present about um, as if we were educating caregivers at an assisted living home on the importance of oral hygiene in geriatric populations. So we taught how to properly brush and floss oneself so that they could teach the residents, but also how to properly brush and floss on another individual so that they can try to upkeep oral hygiene for their geriatric residents. But this is all kind of a like figurative presentation. It's as if we're presenting to that group. We don't actually do it. But that was kind of the big summative project of that class. And for SimLab, we are completely done for the semester. I kind of mentioned that, but I said I wasn't 100% sure what the end product would be. So we're going to start in January. If everything stays the same or gets better with COVID, we'll be back for SimLab in person. In January, we start on the 11th. I'm not sure if they're going to have us start SimLab that week or give us a couple weeks to kind of isolate ourselves before we all come back together. I'm not really sure what their plan is there, but we're going to be a bit behind in SimLab because we still have to make up for that carries removal practical and anyone, including myself, that needs to remediate any of our other practicals from last or I guess this current semester, we would be doing that then. And then we would start everything that they had planned for the winter. I know that we have about 25 credits next semester and we're in 24 right now. So similar, but a lot of classes. And in a couple episodes, once the semester wraps up in an intro, I will definitely read off the courses to you all. And I'm going to be doing a 
fall semester recap episode as well. So you can look forward to that. But I think that's pretty much all the catch up school wise and school is really all that's happening these days. I'm sure you can all understand my family's doing fully virtual Zoom Thanksgiving, just um, us four, me, my parents and my sister, and then we'll zoom in to some of our family members, hopefully. But Nothing really exciting happening on my end, just lots of studying to finish out those didactic courses. And my motivation for this week is going to be a frame of mind I want to pass off to all of you, and that is, it's usually not as bad as it seems. And by that, I just want you to keep that in your mind this week, or if you have anything coming up that's really intimidating you, that really extends to all areas of life, whether it's your first date with someone or seeing a friend after a long time or bringing up some kind of confrontation and trying to deal with it. So it can be social, it can be academic. You could be really scared for a new class that you're about to start next semester and wondering if you can do it. Usually anything is not as bad as it seems and if you give it a go, you're going to realize how capable you are and that you can do a lot more than you thought you could do and you can handle a lot more than maybe you thought that you could. So I hope that you will take that frame of mind that it's usually not as bad as it seems with you into this week or into anything that's maybe stressing you out. And on that note, we'll get into the episode with Mitch all about SimLab for our D1 fall semester. Hi, everyone. So I'm joined with another one of my classmates to help talk about working in SimLab um, during D1 year. So I'll let him introduce himself. Hi, my name is Mitchell Kennedy. I'm from Winston-Salem, North Carolina. I went to UNC for undergrad, and I'm the tech chair for the D1 class. Awesome. So this is kind of a tricky topic to talk about over podcasting, but I know some of you all listening wanted us to touch on the experience in SimLab and if we do have any tips we can share. So, so far this semester, we've had a few projects and practicals. We started with class ones, which is on the occlusal surface of like your molars in the back of your mouth. And then we did class threes, which is on the lingual surface of your anterior teeth. And then we were doing some caries removal. And then currently our sim lab is stopped. So we're pretty much done for the term. But that's pretty much all we've done so far. It's been just on like typodons and we're in sim lab for two years. And then we go up into clinic and work on real patients for two more years. So um, I'll let Mitchell take this one. But how do you think sim lab has been different than what you expected coming into dental school? Honestly, I wasn't 100% sure what to expect because it's just something we've never had experience in whatsoever. Uh, it was fun that it was finally something that was really dentistry related. It felt like you're actually finally getting there. Um, the biggest thing for me I heard going in was the learning curves. It's like everyone has a different starting point and growth point, And you really don't understand what that means until you really get in there. Some people were able to pick it up within the first week and they were like naturals at it. Um, and then maybe their growth was slower later on. Some people struggled with it, uh, probably myself included, for the first month and then started to really gain some confidence in it. Uh, but it's really hard to describe outside of once you first just go in there and start doing it. Yeah, I think pretty similar for me. I kind of thought that starting SimLab would obviously be challenging and then I'd kind of get the hang of things. And yes, I'm definitely more comfortable holding a drill and everything, but because you go from like project to project or type of filling or when D2 year, we're going to start crown preps and everything. 
every time you start something new, you're kind of back at ground zero. Like you're more comfortable being there. You're more comfortable with instructors. But I think I kind of hoped that you'd get better at everything more easily as you went through it. But pretty much every new project is going to be a new challenge. And I wasn't, I guess, fully expecting that going into it. Yeah, it's like you do have to start over again. Uh, for any pre dentals, definitely Google class one and class two preparation or, or class one and class three preparations because that's what we started on. For class ones, you're just fresh, so you're learning everything. And eventually when you start to get the hang of that a little bit, then you switch to class threes and that's all indirect vision. So it just adds a new twist to it. Yeah, and it was interesting because every school does it so differently. You start SimLab at different times. Some of them you really just do waxing at first. Some of them you start drilling right away. Some of them you get graded right away. Some of them you don't. For us, we do about like two weeks of practicing, and we have to complete a few different um, projects, which is like on different teeth for that type of whatever class one or whatever it may be. And then at the end, we have a practical testing us on one of those that we had been practicing on. But I know some peers at other dental schools, they don't get tested at all their first whole entire semester or their first whole entire D1 year. It's just more for participation and learning. So every school does it differently. But I kind of like the fact that there's some pressure on it and that forces us to want to come in and practice extra and really improve because we are going to be graded and tested on it. So I think they give us enough time, in my opinion, to learn how to do something, especially because we do have extra hours outside of class that we can go in and do everything. Some schools also start on bench top. We went straight in the mannequin first day, which was very interesting. And that makes it, you know, even harder because your work area is so much smaller. You can't really see because, you know, the first couple of days you don't have any loops. So that made it really interesting. Yeah, it was. And we were going between using an electric hand piece and using an air powered that they originally had. So we ended up switching over to a whole new type of hand piece. That's just kind of a different feel and it's a little bit bulkier. So it covers more of the area you're trying to see when you're drilling. So it definitely is a big adjustment. And that's something that you can't necessarily prepare for the type of equipment you're going to have or the flow of when you're going to start working on which things till you know where you're going to dental school so for in that sense there's not much you can really expect ahead of time but it would be helpful to look up like class one through six um, preparations restorations and what that looks like because I really had no idea what that was till we started yeah that's something just if you can start to look at it and think about the shape and think about what you're having to do I feel like the earlier you start that the better you could be because it's hard enough to actually do it but to have like a general mindset of what you need to do before going in definitely helped me like really preparing uh, for lab and sense of like okay what are all the dimensions what does the shape look like what do I need to do yeah 100 percent and a lot of that comes down to knowing your dental anatomy because where the prep is being placed on the tooth is a lot of times following the natural grooves that are on the tooth. But if you don't really know dental anatomy, you're sitting so far away when you don't have loops, you can't really see those grooves. So that's also beneficial to really know your dental anatomy before you get into SimLab. But because of our weird COVID semester, we kind of did our waxing after having started a little bit in SimLab which waxing usually really helps you learn dental anatomy. And we didn't wax any molars or canines or anything. We just did an incisor and um, a premolar. So I think that schools that start 
heavy, heavy on waxing earlier on, you probably have a much better understanding of dental anatomy by the time you start drilling. The next thing I thought we could talk about is once you're in sim lab, the way, again, we structured at our school is you're sitting in a row with other students who kind of all have your own little cubicle area where you have your own mannequin and type it on teeth that you're working on, your own set of drills and hand instruments and everything. And then there's a few instructors in the lab and they're assigned to a couple rows and they just walk around and check everyone's work and answer your questions and everything. But technically they can go anywhere in the lab and you can track down whoever you want if you feel like it. So I wanted to talk a little bit about working with the different instructors and what's maybe the best way to go about that. So do you have anything off the bat you wanted to mention, Mitchell? Honestly, this is probably really tricky because every row instructor kind of has their own, you know, set of lists or something that they're looking for. So it's really hard to gauge sometimes how you're doing, which can make it really hard to learn at first. And another thing is like they've been doing like actual clinical work for decades. So it's kind of hard for them to imagine themselves in a scenario of like learning all over again and really teaching like on, you know, type it on teeth, not teaching on real teeth or in clinic. Uh, The biggest thing for me is I started like talking to upperclassmen about advice because they just went through what we went through Um, and they were able to give like advice that was more tailored to the students uh, so that that can be really tricky to maneuver. Yeah, I felt the same way. I got at least saw the most progress, especially early on with our first practical and project, which was the class ones, was from talking to the upperclassmen. Um, because we do have those extra hours in the evenings, there's also some D2s, sometimes even D4s there. And they were so willing to help and they could give you a much better perspective because they just learned it last year, for example, as opposed to a dentist that's been working for 30, 40 years. A lot of the people in dental schools are possibly retired from their private practice and now just working part-time at the school. And then some of them work part-time in either hospital dentistry or research or private practice, and then the other part-time helping us in preclinic. So Students generally are better at explaining things at a more simple level and explaining, oh, yeah, I thought this was the way I was supposed to do it, just like you're doing now. But then when I tried it this way, it ended up being a lot easier, whereas the dentists are very set and like this is the right way to do it. And that also gets tricky, like Mitchell said, because all of the different faculty instructors that are dentists might have a little bit different take on things and they might not agree with the way that the course instructor wants you to do something. So I always feel like the best bet to make sure that you're going to be most successful, at least on your practical, would be to make sure you check with the course instructor who kind of oversees the grading system. And then also try to check with whoever you know is the most critical faculty, because some people are going to really be very encouraging and uplifting all throughout your work. And it might give you kind of false confidence when you're not actually performing to the level you should be. So I think it's good to make sure you check in with people that are going to be more critical of you, even though it might get discouraging, but it's better to at least know what you need to improve on so you can focus on that before you do end up having a practical. That's a big thing. You really have to be receptive during all of this because it's, you know, you're not going to master it in a week, a month. You know, I don't think anyone in the class has mastered it at this point, just because it's such a difficult skill and it just takes many, many hours to be competent at. 
So just when you have that faculty member that's just going to roast you, you just have to sit there and take it and try to learn from it. And I think another thing with like talking to the course director, which is I think is important before practical, is because some of the faculty members are very old school and a lot of the advice they can give you sometimes doesn't really apply anymore. And that can make it, that can really throw you off. Yeah, for sure. And going off of something you said, I think that when you also can know which faculty is going to talk to you versus which faculty is going to show you. And for me, that's been a lot more helpful. Sometimes I'll just walk over and say something and I just am like, oh yeah, okay. And like, then they walk away, but I really didn't comprehend what they were saying. So I guess this is a twofold tip. So first being in that situation, be confident enough in your lack of knowledge to actually ask a follow-up question or ask them to show you. Because if you say you understand them when you don't, they're just going to assume that you understand them and walk away. So don't feel bad if you have to ask them, oh, can you show me? Can you draw that out? Can you explain that a different way? Or try to restate what they said to you in your own words to see if you really understand it. But also there are some faculty that are naturally just going to sit down at your bench and point things out to you with the Explorer. Or even the first few days, I think all of us really struggle to understand what your pulpal floor was supposed to be like, that it was supposed to be smooth and flat. And I just couldn't feel that. So faculty would sit down and drill like half of the floor for me and say like, see, this is what it's supposed to look like when it's smooth. And that made the world of a difference. So I think your first couple of weeks, just kind of try to talk to as many people as you can and figure out who clicks best with your learning style. And then also don't be afraid to ask more questions. Okay, so next thing I thought we should touch on is the inevitable fact that you're going to struggle at some things in SimLab, probably most things. So do you have any advice of first steps, I guess, to take if you realize that you really cannot get a certain prep or restoration down? I would honestly, my first advice was just give yourself room to mess up. Like some days I went in there and just experimented with certain parts of it. So like I would just work on dovetails or I just work on the isthmus or depth and just allow myself to just be bad. And that's where I learned because I figured out what worked for me and what didn't, you know, and those off days, you know, allowing yourself like the today just isn't my day. And just being able to bounce back from that and just not getting too caught up. Because I think a lot of times you really, you want, I mean, everyone wants to do well, but you're just not going to do well as quick as you want sometimes. And just giving yourself room to make mistakes, to have a bad day, to have a bad prep and not have everything perfect really is where you're going to learn the most. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Especially um, for me, like you were mentioning depth, it's good to be timid when you're doing a practical. You don't want to overdo anything. But when you're practicing in SimLab, you're not going to really understand what 1.5 millimeters is until you let yourself go to two or three millimeters. And then you're going to really understand what it feels like to drill that much, the kind of pressure that you'd be applying and everything. So it's definitely worth what Mitchell said to just explore and try starting at different points of your preps, try focusing on different aspects of the rubric and grading sheet till you really understand what it feels like to go in totally too shallow, totally too deep, totally too wide, totally too narrow. And then eventually you'll be able to hone in on that like perfect dimensions that you're shooting for. And that was one thing that was kind of funny once we started doing the carries removal is 
in real life and in clinic, you're not really going to be drilling these ideal external outlines of these preparations. You're just going to be removing the caries, which is like cavities, and then you're going to make sure that it has nice margins and then you're going to fill it. So it's, I had to do basically like a class two on one of my teeth, which was the occlusal surface and then like a proximal surface in between the two teeth. And it looked nothing like what we would be doing on a practical. So it's sometimes weird to feel like you're doing all this extra work. And it seems like, why am I trying to get this perfect shape if I'm never going to use it in practice? But being able to really fine tune your hand skills is still going to really pay off once you are working on patients. And I think that's something that I had to like fully wrap my head around. That's one thing too, like talking with your classmates to figure out, because I think everyone starts piecing things together at different times. So if you make, you know, give yourself time to talk to classmates, they might've figured something out that could help you. And you might've figured something out that could help them. And just like, not so much like comparing your works, like looking at what they're doing. Cause like, that'll drive you crazy if you let it, but just more so talking to them about, you know, how did you, how did you make sure your isthmus wasn't too wide? Or, you know, how'd you make sure you didn't go too deep on the class one or stuff like that, just to get their advice and to hear what's working for them and then trying to apply that and try it yourself. Yeah. We have a lot of really great classmates. Like I personally struggle a lot with restorations and I've had classmates just come over to me during lab and basically give me like a one-on-one tutorial. We are working on getting kind of like a manual put together of like everyone's best tips and things and like a written format. So um, if you are in dental school, I'd recommend that you all try to compile your knowledge and your resources so that it can benefit everyone, whether that be filming little mini tutorials for each other or writing things down because the better that your classes as a whole as care providers, it's just going to improve your reputation of the school and improve patients' experiences and everything. So it's really going to benefit you. There's definitely zero reason to be competitive in SimLab. You should give help and also try to receive help from your classmates as much as possible. Another thing to do, I would say, is take breaks. When you're in there for three straight hours, if you just try to work through that especially if like things aren't going well, even sometimes when things are going well, it's good just to get up and take a break. You know, some people, you know, you feel like you have to use your time wisely in sim lab, but sometimes using your time wisely is just giving yourself time to take a breather. Yeah. And I think people forget that, of course, we're also students outside of sim lab. So we have a lot of other things on our plate with our didactic courses. So you might be like absolutely exhausted one day in lab and just not performing your best. And I really don't think there's anything wrong with calling it a little early that day. If you're just having a terrible time and you're not doing good work and you're burning through your teeth that are going to end up costing you money later to replace. Like, I think it's a good chance to be self-aware and understand if you can't handle it that day and then just sign up for an extra practice session that week and come in and be refreshed and do better work. Another thing I thought we should each maybe mention if we haven't already covered it already is what was the biggest challenge in SimLab for us so far, whether that was more of a general thing or a specific, maybe part of a practical. For me, it was just generally getting started and figuring it out. Um, With Michigan, they really don't, they give you very limited instruction and just kind of throw you out there to survive. And that can be It can be very beneficial because once you learn things like you're set, but it can be very challenging because you have to 
really, you know, go out there and find resources and be willing to talk to people and figure things out. So it's, it's a double-edged sword, but just generally getting started, finding that confidence and drilling and just understanding the basics, honestly, was the hardest part. And then after that, um, you really, the rest kind of starts to come to you, or at least did for me for like measurements and stuff. But that initial getting started and just understanding, you know, where to sit, where you can move around for the best vision, where you can fulcrum, what's the best position to hold the drill piece, you know, different ways you can hold it uh, for even the same prep that was like the biggest and most challenging part so far. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I can't think of like one particular, like this was the biggest hurdle, but there's just a lot of little things that add up to sometimes make it discouraging. Like the biggest part of a practical that I still have trouble with was the restoration for the class one, just because it's such a big chunk of composite that you're putting in there. And people will tell you so many different things. They'll tell you, oh, when you're in preclinic, you can do it totally different than you're going to do on a real patient because it's not a real tooth and you can do this, this, and this, and you don't need to incremental fill. And then other people will tell you, of course, you're going to need to incremental fill. It'll be easier to manipulate. So it's tough when you're getting a lot of different information for something that you're struggling on. Um, And then another thing that I thought was pretty tricky to adjust to was um, indirect vision and also Sometimes working around the rubber dam is very difficult depending on what part of a tooth that you're working on. Um, I'm picturing like when we were doing our class threes, which are on like the inner surface of your anterior teeth. So you have the rubber dam there and then the way you need to be holding your drill and you're working in indirect vision sometimes is very tricky. And I thought the best way, which I kind of touched on earlier that I worked through that was I had to literally ask the faculty instructor, like, can you sit down and drill a little bit on this tooth and like show me exactly how you would hold the drill in the situation? Because out in practice, a lot of people don't use rubber dams and they really can get in the way if you're trying to hold your mirror a certain way to get a view of what you're working on if it is indirect vision. So it's been helpful for me, like we touched on before, really just getting physical examples or tutorials, whether that's from classmates, dental students, or um, faculty. Building on two things you said, talking to people that upperclassmen or people that have graduated, clinic really is that much different from pre-clinic. Like things completely change. Like there are some things that stay the same, but a lot of things change. And I think that's something to really keep in mind if you are struggling pre-clinic Pre-clinic is really to help you get your skills down and to get the basics down. And then when you get to clinic, so many things change that it's just to give you kind of like a baseline. And then for clinic, you can build upon it. But if you are struggling in pre-clinic, I would not, don't write yourself off to be a bad clinician because it, it changes so much. And for the indirect vision, something that really helped me was just practicing the motions in the mirror and with just take your foot off the pedal and just sit there for like five minutes even and just like practice the motions because that's the biggest thing. And I feel like once you start to figure out, okay, if I move this direction, it's going to cut this much or it's going to cut this way, that that starts to come more natural. But just like allowing yourself to just kind of sit there and hover, like, I don't know, that really helped me with indirect vision. Yeah, I definitely did that with a lot for like all of our preps. I would just kind of 
outline it without any actual, without the drill running, without using the rheostat and just see like, which, how am I going to be moving? Whether that was indirect vision or not, it really helps. And they also allow us to draw on the teeth. We can draw the outline of the prep or draw um, at least where like the proximal contact is, because that's kind of where you want your prep to be hitting for a class three. So that was also helpful, especially when we didn't have loops so that you kind of knew at least where you wanted to put the drill because sometimes like our faculty instructor for class threes, again, it's indirect vision, but your drills also kind of covering the mirror in some situations, no matter how you're holding it. So they just say, do a tiny, tiny bit, look, do a tiny, tiny bit and look. And having that mark there in preclinic is really helpful when you're first learning how to get everything down. And like we said, once you get up into clinic, it's a whole other ball game. And then once you get out into practicing, it's a whole other ball game. But just trying to form connections with faculty, dental students, graduated dentists, maybe from your school that you can connect with will really help kind of ease your nerves. Like Mitchell said, that you will get better in some lab in general, but also you're going to have other opportunities to excel. And this isn't really what you're going to be doing every day for the rest of your life. That's going to come more once you're up in clinic. So that's just something to maybe help calm your nerves, I guess. And one thing too, with Taipodon teeth is they are so easy to cut on. Like the, the material is very easy to like slip of the hand and like just completely ruin a prep or just easy to, you know, dip into but for our last part of lab for this semester we started working on real teeth which is fun they put them all in a bucket with goo and it's a little it doesn't smell the best but you you find some that to work on and then you mount them the one thing about cutting on enamel is it's so much harder to make mistakes because it's so much tougher so it's like when you're cutting on it, it's so much easier to smooth out walls, to make sure that you're parallel. And we were doing this on bench top, but it, it's still, the material is just so much different than type of on teeth. It gives you so much more room for error, which was kind of eye-opening. Yeah, exactly. That like doing the carries removal at the end of this term, especially it's like viewed as kind of one of the easier practicals because it's really hard to mess up and you're not, again, going for necessarily an external outline. You're just kind of going through a set of steps to make sure you remove this, then remove that, and then get it checked, and then remove this, and then you're done. So I think that with carries removals, it was a really nice way to end the term and to kind of boost our confidence and make us feel like we can handle this dentistry thing, even if maybe some of the earlier practicals that were very technical didn't go our way. Another thing I got some questions about for this episode was about loops. So again, we had kind of a weird year with COVID. We had a virtual loops fair. So they had all the different vendors go on Zoom and kind of pitch about their loops and how they work. And then if you wanted to purchase from a specific vendor, you could set up an appointment. And then in person, you did get to try things on and get measured and everything. So a lot of our classmates did that. I personally just went through one brand that I kind of already knew I was interested in just from talking to dentists and other dental students. Um, and I purchased them a little bit before our loops fair, but generally you'll have a chance to try on a ton from different brands when they can do these in person. And I think that's the best way to get a feel for things. But since we didn't necessarily have that option, I knew that I'd also, I kind of just went from what I'd heard from people and hoped that what people had told me would be the best way to go for things. So I definitely let other people's opinions kind of sway what I ended up doing. 
but I'd heard that a lot of people by the time they're in their fourth year end up repurchasing a second pair of loops with a higher magnification because you do have that student discount still. And I just figured I'd rather just get used to a higher magnification right off the bat and then hopefully not have to purchase another pair because they can be anywhere from a thousand to twenty five hundred, including like the light and everything that you're using, depending on your magnification and the frames and the light and the brand. Um, so for me, I ended up getting Oroscoptic three point five magnification with a prismatic lens, which is pretty similar to a Galilean. Basically, it's just going to have like a black circle around it. So you're really only looking at like one circle of view. Prismatic just extends that a little bit more. There's also um, a panoramic, which is very expensive and fancy. I don't think any of our classmates got that, but you can see pretty much everything almost as if it's your normal eyes and you're not looking through little tiny microscopes. But essentially, it's glasses with little oculars or microscopes on front of them and that like zooms in on what you're working on and it helps with your ergonomics and everything which is pretty much your posture and helps you to have like a stronger core when you're working and to not be sore and to not damage your muscles and bones so that way you can continue practicing for a long time and be a nice old and healthy dentist one day but that's pretty much what I did for my loops what about you Mitch? For me, I, I, the advice I would give on loops is the earlier, the better, because it really is a career investment. They are very expensive, but it's just an absolute game changer. You can just see so much more and your back isn't killing you. It's just, it's worth the investment. It's worth putting the time in and putting the money in early uh, because it, it helps you so much in SIM. And then of course, like, I mean, most dentists today don't even, you know, practice all without them. Like all of them have them. Uh, I got really lucky at a D2. I'm going to give a shout out, shout out to Connor. He let me borrow his loops pretty early on. So I kind of had like a bridge into getting mine. But even then, the first the first company, Oroscoptic, like they set up uh, kind of a, a thing for our students to come and try them on. I had heard enough good things about them that I just went ahead and went for it just so I could go ahead and have a pair. It, it would have been nice to have a loop fair, but there was a lot of things around that with COVID, like you said. Um, but I I don't regret my decision at all. It was so nice having them for, you know, all the practicals and being able, you know, to see everything and honestly perform better and learn better. So I went with the Oroscoptic 3.5, the exact same that you went for with the uh, prismatic lens. So um, that's what I would suggest. Just getting them early because it, it's a, it really is a game changer. Yeah, I think, I thought like I knew that a loops fair was a thing. So I was kind of just waiting throughout most of our D1 year. Like, oh, when's that happening? Like, when are people ordering their loops? And I didn't realize that a couple of our classmates got them. They had them day one of SimLab. And I think that would have been really helpful. There's kind of, I mean, I guess your loops could break or something, but there's not much of a point of learning to drill without them if you intend to use them every day of your life when you're working. So I don't see a con in getting them before you start SimLab. You can just call up a vendor for or like contact whatever like brand that you're interested in, whether that's designs for visions or oroscoptic or whatever it may be. 
Q-Optics is another one if you want to Google all of these. But um, And then you can just set up an appointment and they'll measure you and let you try stuff on and figure out what's best for you. One thing that I was really glad that I got, I got um, the Tempo frames, which are like a titanium metal frame. And mine actually came with some defects with the oculars. They weren't set up right. And I had to meet with the representative to adjust them but because my frames are metal you can just kind of bend the frames to get the oculars back where they need to be versus if you get like the plasticky like sport frames like a nike or something you have to send them back and wait like four weeks for them to get there and then get fixed and sent back to you so i would recommend getting some kind of metal frame that you can tweak if need be yourself and so i was really glad i did that even though at the time when i placed the order i didn't know that that was a benefit but I'm glad that I did that too. And there's also a debate about like which type of light you want. I like the wireless light. It's a little more expensive. The con is that it has a short battery life, only three hours, but you get two batteries. So you can always have one ready to go. With being in SimLab, I turn it off when I'm not using it. And a lot of times if you're doing a restoration, you don't really have the headlight on. So for me, I've never been in SimLab and had it run out anyways, and I just keep them charged. And it's been really nice to not have a cord in the way, but a lot of people go with the corded one for battery life and for the price. Um, which did you get, Mitch? I went with the wired one because yeah. I really liked the extended battery life. And also it had three different levels of light intensity, which I thought was really really cool. You can kind of, uh, depending on where you are working in the mouth or your lighting for that situation, it was really nice to have that option. Yeah, that's the thing with the one that I have. It's called the Spark Wireless Light by Oroscoptic, and there's just one setting. So that's another con, but I really like it. I just like the hands-freeness of it. People ask about like, oh, are they heavy, your lights or your oculars? Because ours are a lot bigger being that they're prismatic than our peers that have 3.0s Galilean. Like you can tell that they look huge on the glasses, but honestly, because you're new to loops, you're not really going to know what's heavy and what's light unless you got something crazy, I guess. But I don't really notice like headaches or any like strain or pain from the weight of my loops personally. But um, that's another thing with the light the uh, wireless one is a tiny bit heavier because it has the battery that's like attached on top of your glasses. So that's another thing to keep in mind. But I think people like either one for pros and cons for different reasons. One thing I'd add about loops is I would definitely go higher than 2.5 magnification because everyone I talked to that went with 2.5, either they graduated or they're upper class and they wish they went higher or they're like looking into buying a new pair. So I would at least get the three O's. And then I think base three O or three five is really on preference. So test them out, but definitely go higher than two five. I think it's worth the investment. Yeah. I've a hundred percent heard that too. And then, like I said, I was in the boat that, okay, if I'm deciding between 3.0 and 3.5, I might as well just get the higher one. Cause I'll be happy. I have more magnification down the road. And I, have gotten used to them and I got them fixed. Like I said, they weren't really working correctly and I do really like them now. So I think I'm just going to stick with these because you do have a trial period. Some things to consider, I guess, when you're looking between brands and everything is how long is a trial period? How long is your warranty? I think ours is pretty much a couple years, pretty much the time that we're in dental school. Some brands have a lifetime warranty. So there's different things to keep in mind that can help you kind of compare brands. But 
Mitchell and I pretty much made our decisions for the same reason, just word of mouth that Oroscoptics are really great brands. So that's kind of why we both went with them. But um, those are a couple other things to keep in mind too when you're making your decision. But I think overall, basically get at least 3.0 and get them early because there's no downside to getting them and making that investment. So a couple more things people were wondering about SimLab compared to didactic courses. So how do we determine how much time we want to spend working in SimLab versus studying for quizzes and exams and everything? I really take it on a week-by-week basis. So like if we have a week with three exams, you're going to have to put a little more time in didactic. And if you were able to work ahead the week before and you kind of feel good on a couple of them and you have a good schedule set ahead, then maybe you can spend some more time in sim. It really just depends so much. And, you know, if you're feeling good about a practical, then maybe you can not go in as much, you know, for extra practice during the week. Uh, It really, it really is a week by week. Some of this, there's so much thrown at you in dental school that, Planning, you know, weeks ahead for something like that is really difficult. So if you just take it a week by week basis, you know, feel how confident you are in, you know, whatever preparation or restoration you're doing for the upcoming practical, how confident you're feeling on a material for a certain test, and then just adjusting on the fly, kind of, you know, if you have some extra time going to lab, if you, if you're feeling good in lab, then maybe you should study more just kind of really taking it day by day. Yeah, I don't want to waste people's time and just restate everything he said. So I'm just going to say, totally agree. (laughs) We can move on to the (laughs) next question. So this is the last one. Um, For the pre-dentals listening, I'm sure they're wondering, can I do anything to prepare for SimLab to make my transition easier? I know on the application, they ask about like, um, if you've had any like, hand-eye coordination activities or whatever it's called on there. Um, do you think that that any type of activities that you could do as a pre-dental would actually help you in SimLab? I honestly don't. I know people that had, you know, different hand skill levels, like going into it and kind of the hobbies and activities that they did. And I really don't see much of a correlation. Like some of them, it seems like it did help. Some of them, it really didn't. Um, some people had very minimal and then figured it out. So I I don't really know if there's anything you can do activity wise to go in and be better. The only thing I really would like advise is just going in with like a better mindset. So like really be willing to embrace failure, be willing to like not do well, not even on practical, just like in practice or at any time. And to really like let go of the undergrad mindset of like you're competing. It's not so much you're competing at this point, you're learning, you're trying to become a dentist. So really just take the opportunity to allow yourself, like I said earlier, to make mistakes, allow yourself to have bad days. I feel like that going in with that mindset really will help you more than any activity you could do beforehand. Yeah, I was pretty much thinking the same thing. I haven't noticed any of our classmates being like, brilliant in sim lab except for people that maybe had dentist parents who were able to do a lot of practice drilling like in their offices if they had like learner preps or something I think the only things that directly maybe make you more comfortable is actually having drilled before so whether you're shadowing they let you do that or if you go to a pre-dental day at a dental school and you get to do some type of hands-on activity that doesn't necessarily like 
teach you and make you able to pass a practical right away, but it might just make you feel like, oh, like I've used amalgam one time before, or I have held a drill before. So trying to go to those events, I think will help you, but I don't think that a specific sport or instrument or hobby is really going to make or break your ability to perform well in SimLab and be a strong and successful dentist. That's the, yeah, I agree. That's the, the very few people I know that are just, we're just day one, just killing it. Their parents were dentists or they had like a good internship experience or uh, knew someone in dentistry that really let them be hands-on during undergrad, but those opportunities are so hard to come by. So like, if you find one, you're super, super lucky, but if you don't, don't feel stressed because everyone gets there. It's like, I feel like the people that, you know, started off early, so many people have caught up to them at this point. And we've only been doing this since September. So it really, it, it gives you an advantage early on, but it's like the learning curve thing. Everyone's going to end up very similarly in the end. Yeah, I totally agree. Especially like that was probably a handful of people and there's 108 of us. And I think probably 90 out of 108 of us are doing pretty solid in SimLab by now. And it's only been a few weeks. So don't be too stressed as a pre-dental. I think just focus on enjoying undergrad and getting the rest of the aspects of your application um, as complete and strong as possible and enjoy SimLab when you get to SimLab. Um, Do you have any closing thoughts you want to leave people with? Uh, the biggest thing I would say, I kind of touched on earlier, but just the undergrad mindset, like, you know, I feel like it is hard for some people to transition out of that because you're, you're so used to like, I have to get into dental school. I have to have the great grades. I have to do this or that. And you're, it feels competitive. You know, some, some undergrads feel worse than others, but like undergrad schools feel worse than others, but really letting go of that, being there for your classmates and just, really going in with the mindset, okay, I'm here to learn. I really think that will help you more than anything. And I think the grades will come with that. It's if, if you stress and release yourself, or if you release the stress and release kind of that pressure you put on yourself, I do think the grades will come more naturally. And if you, you know, lean on your classmates a little bit, be each other's support base, because it, it's very unique in this position, because this is the first time in like our schooling that we're all working toward the same goal. In a sense, when we were all working to get in dental school, you were still competing with each other. But at this point, even if you're specializing, you're still working to become the best dentist you can be. So being willing to lean on your classmates, your upperclassmen, your faculty, and really just soaking it all in and taking it day by day, willing to make mistakes and just learning and really falling in love with the process is really probably the biggest key to having success in SIM and just in dental school in general. That's awesome. Thank you for that. I feel like that is very uplifting. Um, Thank you so much for helping me out today and joining me on the podcast. Is there a good way for anyone listening to contact you if they feel like they have some more questions for you? Absolutely. I was just about to say that. Um, If you have any questions for me, I'm actually not on uh, Instagram right now, but you can reach me on email. It's M-I-T-C-K-E-N-N at umich.edu and that's u-m-i-c-h.edu i know you could probably throw that in the description or yeah uh, something and i'm usually better to communicate through text so email me first i might transition to that i won't throw my number out there on a public <laughs> podcast but yeah, yeah feel free to email me for anything i'm always willing to you know lend advice or if you need help with anything willing to you know give my two cents or help you out so all right well thank you so much 
Uh, anytime. Thanks for having me on. All right, that is the end of this week's episode. I hope it maybe gave you some insight into what our SimLab experience is like. It's really very different in every school and very different now with COVID, how much we're doing, what all we're doing in what order. But I hope it gives you a little expectation of what SimLab could be like. Or if you're also in dental school, it maybe gave you a new change of mindset or gave you a new idea of a way to approach something that had been challenging you. But next week, we're going to be joined with Ashley. She is a dental student in Texas, a fourth-year dental student, hoping to go to a pediatric residency program, and she runs the business Dear Dental School, where she helps mentor pre-dental students, do personal statement um, critiques, and interview prep, really anything you could need to make you feel confident going into your application cycle. But we talk a lot about her own pre-dental experience and her reasoning for starting her business. So that is everything for this week, and I will talk to you all next Monday.